1: Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm happy to announce my first book is now in print. The title is Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your Fatigue with Natural Treatments. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors and in this book I explain 8 of the 14. I've had some amazing feedback on how easy it is to read and understand. It's not full of the technical, doctor-y language like most books written by doctors are. And of course, the book also contains my own personal fatigue story, along with four other stories from real fatigue cases from my private practice. It's available in paperback and Kindle form, so if you'd like a copy, you can find it on Amazon or on my website, www.drcurry.com. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm very excited about this week's show because my special guest is someone that I greatly admire, Mr. Jamie Glick. Let me tell you a little bit about Jamie. Jamie is a licensed physical therapist and graduate of the Columbia University Program in Physical Therapy. He has over 15 years experience with a private practice in Huntington, New York. His blog can be found at www.howtohelpbackpain.com. And he is the host of the Pain-Free Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Jamie specializes in spinal rehabilitation in his physical therapy practice. Jamie, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show.
2: Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Carey. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Jamie, as you and I know, low back pain is very prevalent in our society today as we've gone from a hunter-gatherer society where we were always quite active and upright to a society that mainly sits we sit at our desk we sit in our car we sit on the couch we're sitting doing this podcast right now right all this sitting has dramatically increased the amount of back problems that people suffer with you see it every day in your office as a physical therapist and I see it as a chiropractor too Jamie can you explain to our listeners and help them understand the common misconceptions and misunderstandings people have regarding their low back pain diagnosis and treatment.
2: Sure, I I think a lot of the misconceptions are rooted in uh, I guess what you you would call probably, I know you're in Canada, I'm, I'm in the US, but they're rooted in the medical model. And there's a difference between the medical model and what they call the functional model. And the medical model is really based on a person having pain they're going to their doctor the doctor ordering a test or like an x-ray or an MRI and that test will ultimately show them to have a problem in their spine and the medical model says well that must be the reason that they're having pain let's try and fix that with either medication or surgery and sometimes they'll order physical therapy Um, But the physical therapy or or even the the chiropractic would then kind of look at them differently and say, wait a minute, your MRI is not really the complete picture here. The MRI will show abnormalities, but there was a study done, it must have been now now about 15 years ago, where 70% of normal asymptomatic people had abnormalities in their back MRIs.
1: It's, and it's amazing that a lot of doctors don't know that or recognize that when mm-hmm. they look at that MRI, more times than not, there is a, let's just say like, for example, a disc herniation on that MRI, and yet most of the time that is actually not the cause of their back pain.
2: Correct. Correct. Yeah. I, um, I, I can probably count on two hands, two feet, and a lot of other people's hands and feet, uh, how many people have come in with an MRI report. And it says disc herniation uh, L5 S1, to, you know, pressing on the right side nerve root. And meanwhile, their pain is left-sided. So I said, you know what? I, I don't think that disc herniation is really the cause of your pain. And what the functional model looks at is uh, is that your body is a whole system, and you're held together with you know not only your spine, but you're held together by muscles, ligaments. Tendons, fascia, and all these other things that can exert a pull uh, on the spine. As you were saying, the you know we we've kind of moved from the from the active caveman lifestyle to the seated, sedentary, I'm um, working in a in a cubicle um, lifestyle, and those stresses are not normal for our body. That's not what we were put together for. We were put together for movement. We were put together for hunting, gathering. And, you know, roaming the earth. We're not put together to, to sit for eight hours straight. So the functional model kind of looks at more of the, how, we're, how we're put together, what muscles are, are, are pulling and creating abnormal forces on the spine, as opposed to just a, a photograph, basically, of your back. So, you know, we need to, it, it's very hard to uh, tell somebody and convince them that no, 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 whatever is happening in your MRI is not what we're going to address directly. We're going to address what's happening around it and try to correct a lot of these imbalances that are caused by your habits and by the, I guess, the industrial revolution's uh, habits that have been thrust upon us. So, you know, the big misconception that I see that patients come in just to kind of put it all together is that their x ray is abnormal, their MRI is abnormal, therefore their back is abnormal, they will never be the same. But the reality is that it's all fixable with the right type of treatment.
1: And so I hear what you're saying is that a lot of a lot of the times there'll be something that's found on the MRI. So let's just give that example again of a disc herniation. Mm-hmm. And that's not actually the real cause of the back pain. But the patient is given the diagnosis of a disc herniation, and then they're told to have treatment for that disc herniation. Mm-hmm. So they're, they have they might have the right diagnosis of a disc herniation but that's not really the underlying cause of their back pain and then they're going for the wrong treatment and then what happens after that
2: well then they you know they end up going back to their doctor they're not getting better you know if you don't address that root cause of you know what's happening you know just for as an example i've had and, and probably in your practice too i've had people come in with sciatica you would you kind of you do a very thorough physical exam as a therapist, as a chiropractor, probably as a physiatrist, they'll do a very thorough exam as well. But I've had people have sciatica, and I'll say, Wait, well, your, your piriformis is really tight on that side. They're like, what are you talking about? Everything's from my back. I'm like, no, no, this piriformis muscle, I'm, I'm testing it. It's much tighter than the other side. The hamstring's much tighter. I think if we loosen that up, we can loosen up that sciatic nerve because that nerve runs right alongside those muscles, and I think we can get you some relief. And I've only had it happen a handful of times where someone would come in after the first session and they would come back and they would say, you know what, I'm about 75% better since we stretched out that piriformis muscle. You know, this is something that the orthopedist is not going to examine. It's not going to be on their x-ray. It's not going to be on the at the MRI. This is only, you know, a certain type of exam, certain type of physical exam performed by like I said, a PT, a chiropractor, physiatrist. Locally here, I know when I tell people, you know, you, you went to your primary care doctor, they're not really going to give you the diagnosis uh, or or you know, the look-see that, that, that you need. Uh, or they've been to an orthopedist who really just gave them medication and an x-ray and ordered therapy, and they're just not convinced that their medical doctor is doing the right thing for them. I'll recommend they go to a physiatrist. And they, they look at me and they're like, well, my feet are fine, and I say no, no, not a podiatrist, a physiatrist, and I actually have to spell it out for them and, you know, convince them that they might be a better person to look at your back than an orthopedist. So that's uh, it's a tough road and it's sometimes an uphill battle, but uh, a lot of times we're able to get them to the right, uh, you know, the right people that are going to look at the whole body as a par- as opposed to just a what I call a photograph of them.
1: And, Jamie, if we just uh, step back a little bit to the mm-hmm. piriformis,
2: mm-hmm. for our
1: listeners out there, the piriformis is a muscle that sits on the back of your hip and deep in your butt,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and it's where your sciatic nerve comes out. And when that, when that muscle is too tight, it's going to be pinching and irritating on that sciatic nerve.
2: Yes. And they're, they're, they've actually studied cadavers, and they, they found that that piriformis muscle in a certain percentage of cases, you know, the sciatic nerve is known to run right next to the piriformis muscle. So if that piriformis muscle becomes inflamed, either because of your seated posture, uh, because of just the habit of you, its just not, you're not active and that muscle is not being used or, or stretched out, or I've seen people that just sit on their wallet all day and compress that muscle. So if that muscle is compressed and becomes irritated and tight, Is a I think it was like a three percent incidence of the sciatic nerve actually coursing through the muscle. That's part of their part of your anatomy. So that can directly affect what happens and the symptoms that you're feeling down the leg from a you know sciatic nerve entrapment in that piriformis muscle. It's actually probably more common than we think, right?
1: Yeah, I do remember when I was back in school and of course uh, first trimester we're doing uh, anatomy and physiology and we're in the cadaver lab doing dissection and it was quite amazing how many people have a sciatic nerve that pierces straight through that muscle.
2: Mhm. Yeah, and uh, you know unless you address that and loosen that up you you know you're you're just not going to make any headway with their condition. And like I mentioned before, that, that type of anatomical alignment will not show up on an X-ray or MRI. You know, the w- what the X-rays and MRIs miss are the rest of you. So they're they're focusing on the spine and the and the intervertebral uh, discs, but they're missing all the hip muscles, all the trunk muscles. It, it's just not part of the exam. That's why it's important to kind of get you know get other opinions and get really physically examined. I think the art of the physical exam. Uh, at least from the, you know, people that I've seen the, that that's kind of been lost. I, you know, part of it's just the medical, the, the the, trend that you only have like six minutes with your doctor one-on-one. So the doctor's going to try to maximize that time by going through your tests, and they, may, they just may not have the time to go through and do a full uh, physical exam.
1: So it's important if you're suffering with low back pain to find somebody that uses this functional model to really get to the root cause of the back pain.
2: Yes, yes, I would agree. You know, there's physical therapists, chiropractors such as yourself. There are also a fair amount of osteopaths. And some osteopaths are probably more so than, than you know, I guess percentage-wise than MDs. A lot of osteopaths are uh, trained with musculoskeletal backgrounds. And some of them are able to do osteopathic uh, manipulations as well. So that's another you know, another type of doctor that you might want to look at. Again, hard to find. You got to do your your research and your homework, but, you know, a physiatrist or osteopath um, is a a real good first start. And some, you know, some states don't have direct access to a physical therapist. So you'd have to go to either an MD, a DO, a chiropractor. And again, not all MDs, DOs, or chiropractors are trained the same way. So you might get a chiropractor that's trained in doing a lot of passive modalities. You might get one that just does manipulation, but you might find another one that really will take you through a rehab program. You know, they're all different. They all have their own uh, their own strengths and weaknesses.
1: That's very true. And, and I can attest to that as a chiropractor, knowing everybody in my profession. Right, and, right. and for our listeners in Canada, if we go back to osteopaths, osteopaths in Canada are not the same as osteopaths in the US. So, what Jamie is referring to as an osteopathic doctor is a doctor of osteopathic medicine. It's a capital D, capital O on their um, initials. And it's an osteopathic doctor in the United States is basically kind of like half a medical doctor and half a chiropractor. It's kind of like an amalgamation of both. Mm-hmm. So, just so my Canadian listeners know that when you're referring to an osteopath, it's not the same as what we have here in Canada. So, Jamie. Over the years, I've heard many patients with back pain say they've been told by their doctor to rest their back. You know, just lie on the floor or lie on the couch until their back pain goes away. And of course, every time I hear this, I just cringe inside, and I bet you do too. Yes. Please explain to our listeners why taking such a passive approach and just lying on the couch or lying in bed, why that is not an ideal approach when dealing with a spinal problem.
2: Well, the moment you stop moving, that's when you start to atrophy. And atrophy means shrink. So your, your muscles will start to atrophy immediately. And we're not just talking about the back muscles. You know, the back muscles have been documented to shrink with pain. And that's, that's known to be, there's a set of muscles that connect one vertebrae to the next called the multifidus. And they've had people with one-sided chronic uh, back pain, let's say on the right, and they've actually been able to document that the multifidus shrinks with lack of use. You know, when you're in, when you're in pain and you're not moving, that muscle just says, you know what, we're going to turn off because we don't need us. So, you know, to, to, to lay in bed and, and do nothing really has not been shown to ever help uh, a back condition. You know, it, it might, you know, if you strain your back for the first 24 to 48 hours and you can't move, then i would say that's okay but after 48 hours for sure you need to start moving start activating the muscles and you know try to try to prevent that atrophy from occurring you know the the i think the old advice even you know in the, the 60s the 70s and the 80s and then people started to look around and say well the research really is not supporting anybody going on bed rest you know the the musculoskeletal skeletal effects plus the You know, if you're on bed rest for a week or two, then you start to get impairment in your pulmonary system and your circulation. Um, You start to develop a lot more secondary problems due to that um, lack of movement. So, uh, you know, the current recommendation, this is by multiple associations uh, that deal with the back, is resume your normal activity within two days. So, you know, I think they put a 48-hour cap on your bed rest if, if it's that bad. If you can move and you can get around from A to B, by all means, just try to maintain a normal life and try to, try to you know, obviously don't do anything drastic like lifting uh, heavy items, but by all means move. So the moment you stop moving, that's when things start to cascade in the wrong direction.
1: So people stop moving, then they get more muscle imbalances that start. So, Jamie, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about muscle imbalances and what do you mean by muscle imbalance exactly, and how do we develop imbalances in our posture muscles?
2: Sure. There was a, uh, a, a, a man who was from the Czech Republic. His name was Vladimir Janda, J-A-N-D-A. And I was, uh, lucky enough to see him speak in 2002 before he passed away, I believe in 2004 or five.
1: Jamie, I'm going to stop you right there and sure. say, I'm totally jealous.
2: Ah, you know him. You're Good.
1: very fortunate. Wow. Ah,
2: see that? He, not everyone knows who he is or have heard of him, but if you know his work, you, you know how valuable it is, right?
1: It is. Yes. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs>
2: That's fine. <laughs> so, and it, if, if. For those of you that don't know him, uh, I'll just tell you more about him and what his, uh, his whole background was. He started out as a physical therapist in the Czech Republic. And he decided that after his physical therapy uh, degree, he wanted to further that and become a physiatrist. So he was an MD and a physical therapist. And his life's work was to identify the causes of back pain and neck pain. That he devoted, you know, the 50 years of his professional life to, to that. Unfortunately, a lot of his stuff was published in Czechoslovakian, so not everybody can read it. And when it was translated, the English is not great; it's hard to find. So it's a real, it's a real gem of a, uh, you know, of a of a compendium if you can find it. There's, there's part one and part two. Plus, he's got a couple of VHS tapes out. Not even DVD, but VHS. They might be on DVD by now. But in his work, he identified a list of muscles that were prone to being tight and muscles that were prone to being weak in everybody. And this is kind of like 100% of the population has these patterns that go through their bodies from head to toe. And he said the root of these postural um, patterns were actually in pediatric neurology. So if you see a child that has, you know, any form of like cerebral palsy, you'll see the, the muscle patterns that, of tightness that develop and weakness are very, very similar to someone that would may come into my office or Dr. Carey's office, but obviously to a lesser degree. It's not a neurologic basis. So if you look at like a child with CP, you'll see their hamstrings are tight, the calves are tight, the hip flexors are tight, the adductors are tight, they... May have a little paunch in their belly. The erector spinae in their back is tight. Their pecs might be tight. Their biceps might be tight. All these things are happening. And if you just kind of, if you had like a little screw in 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 their in their brain and kind of unwound that screw a little bit, and then turn turn them into an adult, this is what we see: the same patterns of muscle tightness as adults, you know, living their lives. And Yanda, one of his theories, this is you know, kind of an eye eyebrow-raising statement that he said when I saw him, he said, you know, the, the fields of neurology and orthopedics should be together, because when you're dealing with the spine, they are so closely related that you have this neurologic tightness in these tight postural muscles that is in everybody to some degree, and you also have these, these patterns of having neurologic weakness. So weakness in the glutes, weakness in the abs, weakness in the muscles that bring your shoulder blades together, weakness in the, the ones that keep your head upright instead of forward on your head, the, you know, the, the neck retractors, they call them. So he was able to identify a list and, you know, depending how detailed you want to get there, it's a list of kind of major muscles and a list of smaller muscles. But he could, uh, you know, he could, it was amazing when I saw him him speak in the course it was a two-day course, and there was a girl there who was having a problem with like this one hamstring that kept, she kept straining. she was a dancer. And he could evaluate her entire body just by looking at her from behind. And he looked at the shadows, and he looked at how the muscles fell and the, the gluteal folds and how the, how the glutes sat. And he said, "I see what's happening here. Your right adductor, your groin muscle, is tight and full, I could tell by looking at it." Your left glute is a little bit less, uh, let's say, less muscular, so it's less developed. And he, knew, he said, These is, this is what you would need to work on. And it's amazing. He said, I, he goes, I can evaluate anybody just standing there. I can look at their back, look at the postural muscles. I have to have the right lighting. He goes, but this is what I did in my medical office back in Czechoslovakia. And it was, and if you, I, I was lucky enough to get my hands on his VHS tape. Now I don't have a VCR, so I can't play it anymore. But on his tape, you see him going step by step, like a 25-minute full-body, head-to-toe evaluation of a patient, and he just shows how he does it. You know that, coupled with a, a muscle length and a muscle strength uh, exam. But uh, it's pretty amazing what what he came up with, and. You know, how these patterns are just, they, they're just so consistent from one patient to the next. And, you know, we all have them to a different degree, depending on, I always say, just how, if your screw is too tight, you're going to have tight muscles. If your screw in your brain is a little too loose, you're going to be a little looser, but you need to get the, uh, you know, the strength in certain muscles back up together. And the amazing thing is that his, uh, I guess he called them uh, the, the patterns that he calls them. Uh, in the neck, he calls it upper crossed syndrome. And in the low back, he calls it lower crossed syndrome. And you see people with shoulder problems, impingement, rotator cuff tears. They have these problems. They have upper crossed syndrome in addition to their shoulder um, dysfunction. So a lot, of, a lot of times the upper crossed syndrome and that muscle imbalance is mostly responsible for the shoulder mechanics getting out of whack. And same thing in the, in the lower body, the lower crossed syndrome that can imbalance a hip imbalance of course their back they can kind of cause their knee to not line up properly when they're uh doing uh sports and, and landing so his his work was really really far reaching and you know it's a shame he he passed on uh I mean young he was like 74 75 and he was a lifelong polio sufferer he had two uh I call them Canadian crutches for you, Doctor Carey. But yeah, you know, <laughs> Canadian crutches, lost strand crutches. That's how he got around. I got I actually got into the elevator with him the first day of the course, and you know, I got nervous. I thought I was next to like you know Mel Gibson or something, like a big movie star. It was uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool.
1: I can imagine. Yeah. So, so Jamie, can you tell us about your? rehabilitation program that you put together uh, for your ebook how is it different and can you give our listeners more details about it
2: sure well the ebook basically takes uh Yanda's work and uh another researcher that I follow uh is Stuart McGill MCGILL he's actually from um I think McMaster University
1: he is. yes
2: yeah and he where Yanda was really good at identifying muscle tightness and patterns of, you know, tightness and weakness, McGill was, you know, much more modern, and he was putting electrodes in people and saying, all right, how do we strengthen the back and not hurt it? So he came up with a list of his recommended exercises to do to strengthen the back and not put extra pressure on the discs. And... You know, the, I, for, to me, I think there's no better way to strengthen than do it safely. Uh, so, in addition to, to McGill's uh, strengthening exercises, he also had a list of things to avoid. You know, certain exercises that are very, very common, and they're commonly prescribed. Thing, you know, just to, to avoid because they put way too much stress on the intervertebral discs. So, the the e-book that I came up with is. You know, part yanda, I took his 10 kind of major muscle groups that he focused on in his list and made that part of the kind of part one of the program is to get things loosened up and kind of get, get you out of the woods. And, you know, based on my experience with using his, his program and his uh, techniques, you want to get somebody out of pain before they begin strengthening. So once they're out of pain a little bit through the postural stretching, then we go into more strengthening. So the strengthening is more McGill, but I do also include some of Jan's, uh, uh glute strengthening, abdominal strengthening, and there is some overlap between the two, which is nice. So the whole idea is that you know the, the the rehab you want to be safe, you don't want to cause extra pain, and you know that's the one reason you would stop doing a certain exercise uh, of any kind is if it hurts, you just you don't do it. You, you kind of knock that one out of the program but most of the stretches are very, very light, very easy. You know, you're not going to be twisting. You're not going to be, you know, you may not even break a sweat because when you do back rehab, you may not even have to break a sweat. You know, the moves are very, very gentle and very controlled and you progress them kind of at your own pace, whatever your body is uh, is capable of.
1: So when they say no pain, no gain, that's absolutely not what we want.
2: And yeah, that's uh, completely incorrect. You know, I, I understand if you're a... A, uh, a runner a cyclist uh, you know a heavy heavy weightlifter that you're trying to increase your strength for or your endurance for a sport yeah that you're, you're allowed to endure muscular pain for that but if you're trying to rehab your spine you you know pain is the enemy you're 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 doing these because you're in pain so the one thing you want to do is not inflame that and not aggravate your condition so yeah everything should be very gentle Pain-free. If it hurts, you stop doing it. You try, you know, retry it again in a week because you might be in a little better uh, situation biomechanically to to try that. You know, some people can't; they just cannot stretch their hamstring because the sciatic nerve is just too caught up in either the hamstring or the piriformis. So you say, you know what? Go very, very gently. If you're still feeling pain when you're going gently with this stretch, stop it and you always have the option of restarting it and there's enough other muscles that are connecting uh, around the back and around the hips that will improve your mechanics where it may take the pressure off and you'll be able to get back into it you know once you try again.
1: Jamie I love that your program Mm -hmm. is based on two of the greats Yanda and McGill and as you said it's all about using that functional model to figure out is it the joint, is it the nerve, is it the muscle and when it's the muscle which muscle is out of balance? Which muscle is too weak? M- which muscles are too tight? And so that's what your ebook deals with.
2: Correct. And it's it's a it's an easy uh, you know three step program. The you know the stretches are the first step that just kind of like I said gets you out of the woods and gets you some pain relief. The second step is more of the strengthening and stabilizing the back. And this is more where you know the more you do the Strengthening, the, the, the better environment your back will have and the more uh, you know, the more able you are to stabilize your back. And then the third part is the more advanced uh, exercises. So that's really when you have no pain and you're, you're on that path where you're feeling good and just another way to help uh, challenge the trunk muscles.
1: So it's about first stretching the right muscles and then second strengthening the right muscles and then third going into the advanced stages and how about how long does that usually take
2: you know it it really varies from from person to person Uh, I have in the book a four-week introductory stretching program a four-week minimum Mm -hmm. before you begin any strengthening and just from from my experience four weeks has been enough to get a lot of people significant pain relief with that so for the most part Four weeks would get them past that first part. You know, if they're still having pain or they're still feeling tightness, then you can continue that stretching. Really, it's an, it's indefinite. You know, you should be doing that uh, for your lifetime if you're having uh, you know uh, back problems. Uh, and then part two is the strengthening. Again, you can try that for the next four weeks, and then the advanced strengthening is kind of you know. As you need to, you strengthen and you are you, uh, you know, up up the ante, so to speak, for, for the back to, uh, to help stabilize you. But you know all in all, within eight weeks you should be able to kind of go through the entire progression. And again, feeling relief, you know I, I've had people after one or two visits in my office or, or one or two uh, weeks with the book, and they're feeling a relief uh, significant relief uh, fairly early on. And it's uh, surprising because you don't have to put a finger on their back and they, they feel nice relief. And, and the good thing is they can do it themselves.
1: Jamie, how can the audience find out more about you? How can they get their hands on your ebook?
2: Sure. I have a website, which is howtohelpbackpain.com. There is also a blog on that website, which should have a daily article that I write related to back pain or maybe related to a new study that came out uh, relating to how you can help your back. And then I also have a weekly podcast on iTunes and Stitcher that's called the Pain-Free Podcast. And again, we have great guests. They focus on health promotion, uh, pain relief, and everything in between. And also I do a nice little 10 or 15-minute news segment uh, in the beginning of the podcast that can give you Uh, you know, the latest news, the latest research, and stuff you can apply right away to help yourself, uh, you know, improve your health.
1: Jamie, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This was an awesome interview.
2: Thanks, Dr. Carey, and I appreciate you having me on and, you know, taking the time to learn more about me and my, uh, my practice and my activities. Thank you.
1: All right. That wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Jamie Glick. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Kerry Drisga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week.
0: You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Kerry Drisga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc.